Hello everyone. Um, welcome to this. This is a Christmas special episode. Um, it's extremely Christmas oriented. The Christmas cheer is going to be a little bit overwhelming, probably more than you can take. Um, the Christmas cheer, the Christmas cheer has invaded my heart and I find it, I find it hard to believe how cheerful, um, that I feel and how you'll feel in return as a result of my return on invest, my return on investment, my return on investment in terms of Christmas cheer is just like um, pretty overwhelming. And so, like, you're gonna receive so much like Christmas cheer, for example, like for example, Christmas cheer, like um, ho ho ho, Merry Christmas. It's good to see friends and family. That's the gift that gives back more than any present that you receive. All the all the glamour and all the glitz doesn't um, doesn't make up for the love that you find in your heart. All of the lights are pretty, but that doesn't say anything about the way that it feels to experience Christmas cheer. Um, Wow, I feel it, don't you? The cheer is under, under fire. I feel, uh, I feel damn cheerful, but, um, like, I don't feel very motivated to even say anything right now. But let me, let me drum something up because my dumb brain hasn't really been thinking about anything for some reason. I've just been letting my brain wander. Like, I'm not really trying to figure anything out. And that's always usually better rather than that I'm, like, uh, going to formulate my way to a podcast episode. And so my dumb brain has just kind of been not really thinking about anything in particular, I've been waiting for my dumb brain to do something smart so I could talk to you. Well, actually, I just haven't had any time this past week. I've been so busy uh, involving myself with Christmas cheer and filling my heart with joy that um, it's been difficult for me to think about, like, uh, maybe it's just the love in my heart is uh, over overdoing it, like, so that my brain doesn't even have time to think. Or something like that, or uh, just, uh, my, I mean, uh, if I give less power to the brain side of myself, then before you know it, it's like the love of my heart is starting to win, and then um, the love in my heart is uh, a fucking Nazi, though. We need to stamp that out. We're tired of the love in my heart, said all of my organs combined. This is a, what you're listening to is a Senate of different parts of my body. This is a Senate, we come together, we convene to try to figure out, okay, what is really the direction here and what are, where are we going, what do we think? And uh, that's, that's scary and um, weird that anybody would put that into words if that was the case for anyone. I mean, it's just like different things that I think really, I, it's, it would just be different parts of my brain, but that's what the brain would want it to be. Well, actually the different people that you see yourself as, they all come from the brain. That's what the brain would say. I mean, maybe my kidney has a voice. Maybe my liver has a voice. Maybe my liver wants, maybe this message to you today is brought to you by my liver. This is an audio only version because I'm not videotaping it because of the hassle, because I have a limited time frame right now. And, um, so please, I don't want it to get back to me because like, I don't want to hear any complaints as is often the case. I just hear so many complaints that like, Hey, now you get what you receive. And that's uh, part of the gift of Christmas. And, um, I'm trying to motivate my way to whatever. But there's like, there's, there's, uh, there's bubbles that happen, I think. I think that there's bubbles like, and this isn't, bubble isn't exactly the term for describing the, th the thing that I'm trying to describe, I don't know how to say it. Like maybe it's kind of a bubble. Um, 
the thing that I'm about to describe. It's like when everybody has the same opinion, it's like a bubble and um, like everybody kind of has the same opinion on dogs and that they have unconditional love and that's it's perverse it's perverse that people think that um it's more like everybody has the same opinion sometimes a lot of people have the same opinion like it's an echo chamber and then they're kind of repeating the same things but you recognize that something is like a bubble if you see that the opinion is too much the same or it's kind of like a conspiracy across different people that all have the same opinion but like nobody checks up on that it is the same opinion being repeated or it's just like kind of an assumed thing but when it's like when something is too far assumed one way like dogs have unconditional love and i don't mean that to be mean to my dog like my dog is fine or or dogs in general i'm just trying to point out that everybody like you if you watch a movie they kind of, there's this underlying assumption that like I mean, sometimes to the extent that dogs are better than people, it's like almost the underlying assumption. Like you'd have to be the worst person ever to kill a dog, like over a human. Or you might say that you like people might be thinking about dogs that, well, if any, if you could be as heartless as to kill a dog, it would be easy to kill a human or something like that. Like there's kind of an underlying assumption about dogs that they are i mean maybe it's that they're better than people or they're like this unconditional love but it's like you're not supposed to say anything mean to dogs but i feel like that's coming to uh i mean that might culminate in a different that has to culminate in a different opinion at some point where it swings back the other way i'm just telling you about what the future looks like and uh it, it like might swing back the other way where we're like oh dogs but i mean maybe we recognize or try to figure out why we everybody collects dogs and society it's because it's a little bit superstitious or we for one for some reason we stand over this species we stand over them and control them in ways that we don't try to control other species but it's like i mean cats are um like dogs and cats like to live with people but it's kind of a weird assumption that a dog like dogs being a different species really love humans maybe it's more the case that dogs are just kind of sarcastic or uh, they, I mean, or they just do, like, it's kind of like dogs do something for people that other, a lot of other animals don't do, but the human experience as we walk through it at this moment in time kind of allows us to write our story alongside dogs because dogs uh, have, a, have a similar mode of living as humans do, similar enough that we we bring them into our houses and stuff like that. But, like, it's, it's superstitious, like, always always owning dogs or like because it's not like the dogs choose to be in our house but it, there's this underlying assumption that they like that they do or that they do want to live with people but it's like it goes back thousands of years maybe or something like that like dogs have kind of always participated with humans and so that's the way that it's been for so long and people are like well dogs are our best friend or they're our helper and stuff like that and um, it's kind of like an underlying assumption that everybody has about dogs being good. And kind of what I'm talking about with a bubble is that um, good, like when everybody thinks that something is good rather than that there's any awareness for the other side of it, like that there's like there's a negative of it. When, when the negative isn't recognized and everybody says like this is the opinion to have, that's kind of like a bubble that's waiting to pop. But I'm just telling you... Maybe that swings back the other way in the future, um, or or something something like that. I don't want to uh, I don't want to stand over my own speech, but there's like there's so much standing overs, standings over. But uh, what is confusing to me is just like when Jimmy Fallon makes that music video about that it's a masked Christmas last year, and now this year we're gonna be in line for our boosters, and. Um, and then people like go and get their booster shot when that video exists like that people see people know that that's happening jimmy fallon megan the stallion and ariana grande make a music video about uh medical expertise because that's so hilarious for tonight show for comedy shows um but it's it's just kind of weird that tonight shows 
are all now doing song and dance numbers about medical expertise and medicine and people act as if this is just that's uh, like oh yeah that's funny or that's like the same thing as what they're all always doing like who would have foreseen 10 years ago that all of the tonight shows would collectively they i mean it's a conspiracy all of those tonight shows have for some reason feel the need to make songs about taking vaccines and shit like that and people don't think that that's a conspiracy when it's like the David Letterman was different from Jay Leno, right? They These are competing entities. Like, that's the whole point of showing us Nielsen ratings. And, like, these this, this TV show is getting higher ratings. And having TV personalities that's like, this one is different from this one. Because people have different taste. But, like... Um, like who would have foreseen 10 years ago that all of the tonight shows would be doing song and dance about medicine like but people today currently act as if um, they act as if this is normal or like that was just the natural progression of events like oh yeah they're just being funny in the same way that they always were or, or something like that's completely normal fodder for tonight shows that's what you'd have to think if they're like, Jimmy Fallon makes this video, like, you could say it's corny, uh, it's sort of catchy, the song is, obviously, because they have probably whatever brainwashed people in the music industry that make formulaic songs to do this for them. Like, what Jimmy Fallon has all the resources in the world, that's why he gets millions of views whenever, that's why he still gets millions of views, like, YouTube is on his side and circulates his things, same with Stephen Colbert, same with Seth Meyers. They get a million more views than what is organically true about what they're putting out. Like as far, but I, I and obviously you could argue that because at the end of the day, we're, it's just like such a numbers or viewership society that we're like, well, they have the viewership, so how could you deny? But it's like, I mean, the YouTube algorithm decides what it wants. It and uh, definitely suffocates out smaller platforms and uh there's that sarah silverman and seth rogan santa inc movie and they i think because of that movie they discontinued the dislike button because the dislike button is like one of the last in popular society on a platform as big as youtube one of the last uh resources that the people have to tell the world that the thing that's in front of them is shit but then youtube realized that oh the people actually have a voice through the dislike button as simple as that's like as simple as a dislike button is people actually control a lot of public opinion by overly disliking something that they're like oh this is too woke obviously this is just something that the system is trying to force on us and it's bullshit that you're trying to make it popular and those things that get huge dislikes and huge amounts of dislikes often have millions of views or whatever but like uh they discontinued the dislike button because they're like oh the people have too much of a voice in this area we don't really like that and um and and because of this santa inc movie and it's kind of like seth rogan and uh sarah silverman are two people that the world has hated forever but they've just been like waiting for the day that they really fucked up. This is the day that they finally, like Sarah Silverman and Seth Rogen have just been asking for it forever. They've been asking to be hated, but like doing enough that we're like, oh, well, we actually like them a lot because they stick around. They're like two people that the world naturally hates forever, but they just, they don't care about it. They just stick around and keep making content. They're like, well, we're still here. We don't care that you hate us. They're just so naturally hateable. And then finally, finally they got old enough that they weren't even able to maintain being hated while being liked at the same time. And then they went, like, they went one, they went one project too far and they got together for it, which is perfect. And now the world's like, finally we have the grounds to hate you endlessly for the bullshit that you make, you fuckers. You don't know shit. You don't know shit about what's going on. We're sick of your bullshit projects you make for your own self-aggrandizement and whatever. I mean, it's probably just at the end of the day, people hate them because 
they're mostly just doing it for themselves, but it's difficult for people to put that into words when they're actually making good content through the years. But um, it's like people have just been people just hate them almost more so than whatever the like the thing that they put out is obviously just in line with mainstream narratives or what are perceived to be mainstream narratives about race relations and shit like that. It's almost, but I, I feel like people hate it just as much for like Seth Rogen and Sarah Silverman are putting this on. Like they they think that they have the right to tell you how to live your life. People are not going to stand for that. Like we'll listen to Sarah Silverman up to a point, but we're not going to listen to her and tell us like, Oh, by the way, this is morality for you and your family. You have to like, it's, it's obviously at the end of the day, Sarah Silverman, it's preposterous that you would be the voice of morality for anybody. So sorry. So sorry about that. Said the country country said, so like, sorry about it. And so sorry, but they, they are like, we're overly dislike this. We dislike you. But that Jimmy Jimmy Fallon makes that music video and then people still get their boosters. Jimmy Fallon, Ariana Grande are saying this Christmas time will be in line for our boosters. And people are like, yeah, that's right. I agree. Well, totally. We will be in line for our boosters. People know that that music video exists and they're like, yeah, we agree with Jimmy Fallon. We will be in line for our boosters. People are getting something called a booster and that's like for five-year-olds i wouldn't why would you voluntarily get something called a booster that you when the media is telling you to like jimmy fallon you're letting jimmy fallon be your dad and these people are like jimmy fallon and the media like cnn anchors basically are like well we're gonna be in line for our boosters this christmas right make sure we get our boosters you need them and people line up like children because I guess they want to be children, basically. That's the most childish thing ever, that you would get something called a booster. Yeah, I'm going to get my booster right away after Jimmy Fallon makes that video. Obviously, people aren't like agreeing. They're like, oh, Jimmy Fallon said it, so yeah. That's not what I mean. I'm just saying you know that that video exists and you don't have enough dignity to say like, God, I don't want to look as stupid as that. Like, I'm just in line with this theology that Jimmy Fallon's putting on. I don't know. I don't know why people still do that. I mean, I guess not everybody knows that that music video exists, but it's like, it's just, it's an embarrassing piece of propaganda. It should just be, it should be so embarrassing that that exists, that people would never, no one would ever get a booster. Like, well, I'm because you have to realize that if you're in line for a booster, then you find yourself just you find yourself just listening to advertisements and then carrying it out to the letter of the law. You should at some point be able to prevent yourself from doing that. What is that boosting exactly? Even the research that is like, oh, boosters and vaccines, they're help you so much more against the virus or like they're going to help prevent you from i mean they'll save you they're really helpful the research that says like you got to go and get a vaccine even says that well it doesn't help you from getting it like it doesn't prevent you from getting it it just prevents you from spreading it or something like that so if it's a vaccine that doesn't vaccinate you from anything necessarily the research is like well we don't know if it's going to prevent you and there's all there's tons of cases from famous or not famous people alike that you hear about they're like oh a breakthrough case our whole family got it even though we were vaccinated what can we learn and it's like from reuters.com or something what can we learn about a whole family that gets um contagious with the virus even though they were double vaccinated or whatever like how do we how do we continue to get vaccinated even in the face of this that shouldn't be happening or something like they use it to advocate getting more vaccines like, if the research that is positive for it even says that it doesn't prevent you from getting the virus, and it's a vaccine, and vaccines are created to prevent you from getting viruses, why would you voluntarily go and get it and then get boosted with whatever is in it? What is it boosting if it doesn't prevent you from getting a virus? It's boosting 
uh, lackluster formula that's going inside of you. It's it's boosting useless, ineffective juice. Like you, now, I'm getting more ineffective, whatever this is, into my body. I I needed that boosted. Said somebody. Said somebody somewhere. But um, it's that's all good. Is there like Jimmy Fallon makes that video and people are like, yeah, I guess, yeah. That's right. We're all on the same side. I mean, the Stephen Colbert song and dance is probably even more embarrassing. Because Stephen Colbert is like the nerdy science-y one. It's kind of the same with Jay Leno and David Letterman when the, when they respectively were hosting those shows. Letterman was, Letterman, Letterman's more like a nerdier one. And Leno is a bit more pop culture. Jimmy Fallon is more pop culture. Stephen Colbert is like more allegedly scientific and like, hey, we need to go with the facts here. But basically just standardization Stephen Colbert is like well we need to listen to authority in standardized medicine standardized media narr- narratives he likes standardization does that Steve Colbert bear 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 big bear that's big bear Colbert big Steve Stevie weaves called bur 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 bear and so as you know as you know, but he makes a song about like all of the vaccines, but that, that alone is a conspiracy. Just the echo chamber of television that CNN is the same as Jimmy Fallon is the same as ESPN. That's a conspiracy. They all have the same, they all have the same thing. ESPN publicizes positive propaganda for the vaccine the same way as CNN does. They do it just by telling you just by filling up all of the headlines on their app with like, oh, these these players are out because of COVID protocols. I mean, those are the storylines they put out. Like, this is how many people are not playing because of COVID. They like to do that to overwhelm you, to show you, oh, wow, this disease is really rampant again. It's just as much in your life as it always was. And their anchors say things like, well, what we need to recognize is that we're still right in the heart of the pandemic and maybe the worst of it is in front of us and shit like that. Because they're just CNN, but it's been that way for like, it's been that way for like a decade, but growing in intensity for a decade uh, as television loses all value, as cable channels lose the ability to speak significantly on their own, as cable TV loses its voice, all of them get identified to the same agenda, basically across all the channels just becomes an echo chamber. And uh, Jimmy Fallon becomes the same thing as Stephen A. Smith. Because Stephen A. Smith can't say anything too bad against, like, because Disney is telling them that, oh, we need to look good in the eyes of the world, and Disney doesn't know. I mean, Disney, ESPN is just a mess this at this point, but it's been growing in intensity, just more of a mess. Like, ESPN can't figure out has no finger on the pulse of what's actually happening in the world and all they can do is take their cues from Twitter and so Twitter gets mad at their anchors for being bullshitters because their anchors are just speaking off of canned talking points and storylines that ESPN gives them and ESPN doesn't have its own voice because it's just owned by Disney and Disney makes them say certain things and Disney since they own ESPN they want to make characters out of their anchors and characters out of the players and they make want to make dramatic like uh, a wish is a dream is a wish your heart makes storylines out of the players and they like to they like ESPN wants to take Bo Nix the quarter quarterback from Auburn because ESPN has a lot Disney ESPN has a lot of money with the SEC conference the SEC in case you don't know is uh, one of the it's like one of the two or three biggest college football conferences and it's the one, it's the Southeast Conference where it has like Alabama and Georgia and Florida and uh, Auburn. But Bo Nix plays for Auburn. And basically ESPN tries to make a Disney star out of Bo Nix the same way they would Miley Cyrus by propagandizing his celebrity, like acting like he's a star or this major quarterback. And one of my main beefs with ESPN is their coverage of college football. It has, it's been shitty forever. But, um, and basically the entire time I've watched it, they've been owned by Disney. It's just that the Disney influence took a number of years to fully envelop ESPN. 
and but now it is fully enveloped it and ESPN's going to shit. And it's not like I mean uh, I mean I don't want to I don't want to say Disney is evil, but they do they do commandeer things and then kind of ruin them like Star Wars and uh, whatever else they they soften the impact of it. They like like Star Wars just becomes more tame and they they need to make it within political boundaries like Disney has to make it PC because they're kind of like they're kind of like taking their cues from the world but they but so Disney just has to take its cues from Twitter and they do that and like rather than they they can't figure out what originally they have to say. They don't let any of their anchors say anything original. Disney just listens to Twitter and they're like, well, in response to Twitter, none of you can say any of this because they're very defensive and protective of their thing and they're scared to cross anybody. They're trying to please everybody. And so they don't let their anchors say anything. And then they're trying to make like, they're trying to make a Disney star out of Bo Nix or even Zion Williamson or anybody that's like, uh, like, or, or any, Tua Tagovailoa, anybody that's in SEC might end up being that because ESPN has a lot of money, money with the SEC football conference. But um, one of my main beefs with them overall is that they propagandize any college football player because the college football that I watched growing up and college football when it's broadcasted better it's about the teams and that's what people care about when you care about players you're talking about the nfl where the players get paid in college the players don't get paid but espn has this idea where they think that they have to bring up only the players rather than the teams like they think that college football is about players and they emphasize all these players that we've never heard about and college football isn't about players because we don't know who any of them are because they just got there and then they're only going to be there for two years. College football isn't about the players, but ESPN like brings up every player as if they're each, each of these college football players are this big money-making venture that they're supposed to capitalize off of. And they try to basically make Disney stars out of them. They do that, especially with Bo Nix where Bo Nix is like a borderline good quarterback, but for ESPN, what would really be helpful to them and make them a lot of money is if Auburn was, like as good as they always are if like Auburn was a top 10 team or Bo Nix was a star and because that would make the SEC even more even better than it is like they it would be helpful to them if the quarterback of Auburn was a star and they're trying they're always trying to make stars out of the Auburn quarterback and it's helpful for them for a number of reasons like Alabama is a big money-making venture for them, and Alabama's biggest rival is Auburn, and they need the Auburn-Alabama rivalry to be huge in the eyes of the nation. They needed to compete with the Michigan-Ohio State rivalry, where the Michigan-Ohio State rivalry is owned by Fox, and they're doing a basically a tremendous job of propaganda, propagandizing the Ohio State-Michigan rivalry over at Fox, but Fox covers college sports better because they're better at recognizing that it's about the teams. Not that they don't emphasize the players, but they, they recognize the star players who are actually stars. ESPN just calls anybody a star that they are choosing to make a Disney storyline or whatever. Like They're trying to act like Bo Nix is uh, this hero like in a really fantasy oriented way where he's like uh gonna save the day or who knows what he's gonna do like he's gonna pull some magic he's like bo nix has magic up his sleeve or there's something about him like he's it, this it guy that's the way that espn wants to portray it but espn for such a long time had so much of the market for sports analysis that it was like that they almost had they used to have more of an, a monopoly over perception about athletes and teams so that they could kind of control narratives for things and that's that's broken down more with youtube and and whatever but now it's to the point that espn has not that much power over the perception of teams and players and so it just comes across as more and more unnatural over time when they sensationalize one player who isn't a star and you're like espn what are you doing espn just um espn is just running all kinds of bullshit really and is Bonix isn't, but like, it's it's detrimental to 
I don't know. It, it might be. It might be detrimental to the players in the same way that being a Disney star is detrimental to Miley Cyrus. Like, they kind of make it... Um, they kind of make it so that those players have to overcome this um, s- sensationalized thing. Like, they kind of blow up Tua Tagovailoa, and then um, now Tua Tagovailoa has to live up to all these expectations where ESPN is always in the business of saying, like, the Alabama quarterback is the best, and they always say enough about it that whatever Alabama player is the best makes it to be a Heisman finalist. And I feel like the Heisman, I feel like a lot of that system is owned by ESPN. ESPN has the most money in it, and they sponsor the college football playoff and um they and probably and i think they televise the heisman the heisman final ceremony who wins the heisman trophy which is the trophy for the best college football player in the year and they're like they're always trying to give it to an alabama player but i mean a lot of times the alabama player deserves it actually i'm just saying like Bo Nix probably has a hard time living up to expectations that he doesn't deserve to have since he isn't actually that good. But I mean, when you sensationalize somebody, especially their college age, you make them like live up to something that I I don't think it helps Zion Williamson out that it's mostly ESPN chatter that makes him a sensation. Zion Williamson is obviously a great player, I don't know what his potential is. I actually haven't watched him play enough that I really know. But um, they don't help. It's it's just because he went to Duke and ESPN has the storyline that Duke is really good in college basketball, but they need the biggest programs to continue to succeed because that's the most obvious narrative. And that's basically all that Disney can handle is the narrative that like, well, Duke is a hero in college basketball and so and the best player from Duke is, is a hero or like and Zion Williamson was the best player in college basketball that year but that ESPN took that as their opportunity to say that he's LeBron basically and just say his name as much as possible I mean they probably found that they made money off of saying Zion Williamson's name that's all that it takes for ESPN is I mean it's probably that they figured out that like oh Bo Nix they make some money off of his name And then they, if they make any money, Disney is so concerned with the money that's rolling in and they're so litigious about whatever, like the common, the common example is that somebody had a Disney emblem on their gravestone, but then Disney came along and was like, oh, you have to remove that because we own that property or whatever. Like they're very litigious and, um, it was like a child's gravestone. They wanted some, maybe like a something, I don't know, Mulan or something. I'm just making something up completely. Maybe they wanted the princess and the frog on their thing. Maybe they wanted the hunchback of Notre Dame to fill their, to, or maybe they wanted their gravestone to be a statue of um, Maleficent, whatever that thing is. That evil witch. Maybe they wanted their tombstone to be that grave, that statue of that. And then Disney was like, no, we own that property. But uh, so Disney owns properties are very litigious. They want money. They probably are like, oh, we said Zion Williamson, that makes us money. And then they're just going to go all out. They're just going to keep saying his name over and over again. Not considering that he's a college player, doesn't need all that publicity. They don't give a shit about that. It's just, and it's just that reason why unnaturally they're, they emphasize players in college sports when college sports are mostly about teams because really, because I don't care about the players, especially players on other teams. It's really like, I care somewhat about players on the team that I like, but even then it's more about the team always because the team always stands there and the players filter through it like water. They're in and they're out of there before you know it college sports is about the team espn doesn't care about that and really are concerned with making money off of college athletes while at the same time telling everybody how evil it is to make money off of college athletes and running a bunch of stories about it fucking hypocrites it's the same as the rise and fall of mars hill podcast 
and so which I've been listening to is probably the most interesting thing that I've been in, listening to the last few days. The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast. Mars Hill is a church that Mark Driscoll had, but it's a podcast about Mark Driscoll, and they titled it. It's put on by an organization called Christianity Today, and it's from what I understand about it, like one of their most popular podcasts, but. And a lot of people know about it, and they're making a lot of—they're making money off of it. I don't know how much money—I don't know how much money you could make, for sure, off of like the most people knowing about that podcast or whatever. But they make money off of it, and they call this podcast "The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill." When you're talking about the rise and fall of Mark Driscoll, not Mars Hill, and by calling it that. You're like Christianity Today puts on this podcast. It's maybe like 15 episodes long. I've listened to the first five of it, but it's just like a hit piece on Mark Driscoll because the church today is like, oh, now we know for sure that Mark Driscoll was an evil man. And certainly we paint him in a negative light because the church has come to the consensus that, well, Mark Driscoll was actually just a shitty guy and we shouldn't have allowed that because. He was too masculine, and now the church has come to a place of no tolerance for misogyny, which we didn't have 10 years ago, which isn't true, really. It's like the church would like to paint itself as like, I mean, they take their cues from the outside world more so than they know for sure that every what the outside world's opinions are. I mean, it's kind of like the church looks at the world and says that the world has one opinion because they're not in the world they're not really able to compare relative truths when it within it and like see make comparisons across different groups of people like the church is in a position where they contrast themselves with the world such that they have to look at the world and say that the world holds this opinion and so what they receive back from the world is just that like well feminism is really big right now or like uh white people not having a voice is really big right now men not having a voice really big so they're like well we we are totally on the front lines of hating misogyny just like the world does because they're not going to look at the world and like especially they're not going to see the peripheral opinions uh less mainstream opinions or like validate those the best they can do is say like with like the standardized opinions of the world that you see on media see in media and stuff like that and so and and even that like i'm looking at the church and saying the church does this and that's not true because even within the church there's lots of relative opinions there's conservatives and liberals they're not all on the front lines of feminism it's just kind of the case that standardized church opinions which would come from christianity today or the bodies within the church that are putting on a mainstream podcast for the entire nation they do have to hold to what looks like what the world is doing and so there's that's not uh, that's just kind of what you would expect I guess they're trying to mirror standardization that happens in the world and so they're like oh we also are on the front lines of hating misogyny and so they're like by the way we always are like now we know that Mark Driscoll is bad but it's really like when Mark Driscoll was rising in prominence in like the early 2010s like uh I feel like, well, I was, I remember Mark Driscoll and I didn't really, I wasn't really concerned with what he was saying, but that was because I figured that it would all come to a horrible end at some point based on the fact that he was vitriolic and angry about lots of things and the church doesn't really like that ultimately. So it's like, I felt like he could only last for so long and I didn't really, I thought he was a mean guy and didn't want to listen to him. I was like, oh, this guy's evil. He speaks against the church. And I feel like a lot of people in the church actually felt that way. It's just that they like the example of some brash guy. I mean, he was still able to put it under the umbrella of Christianity, all, all the things that he believed. But like, because he's, in some sense, it's just making money off of Christianity by exploiting loopholes. Like, well, did you know you could be a Christian and also be like, oh, my sexy wife and and promote having lots of sex? And he's exploiting that loophole. And people are like, well, yeah, it's not like the Bible doesn't say that. But ultimately, the church is kind of like, 
even while he's rising in prominence, I feel like a lot of people know that they're not going to end up agreeing with his beliefs ultimately, and you're kind of watching a star burn out and explode or something. It, I think even at the time, and I think that the Christian church's relationship to Mark Driscoll is such that they really like to consume destruction. And I want to listen to the entire podcast so I have a better uh, explanation, or a, I'm, I want to... I want to give you my opinion after I watch the whole podcast, but I've watched like five episodes of it. This is my opinion so far because it's interesting enough. I would want to talk about it for a while, but it would appear to me that the Christian church's relationship to Mark Driscoll, both when he was being prominent and today as put on by Christianity today in the year 2021 or, or 20 that they're making this podcast, they're talking about a guy that rose to prominence a decade ago. So I don't really know what's so I don't know that that is what's happening today. So it's interesting that Christianity today still can't get over Mark Driscoll. They still want to consume content that he's creating. Like the church's relationship to Mark Driscoll is such that they like that he is destroying himself in front of us. And they like to consume it and they like a good failure story. And even to today, now they can act like they're better than Mark Driscoll, even though they loved what he was doing at the time. They loved the sensationalism of it. They loved that he was brash and saying all this shit. They, and partially they just love it because they know that it's not going to work or like, or, I mean, they like to watch the destruction of Mark Driscoll and, and make a lot of money off of it, both at the time and now after the fact. And like Christianity Today is making a bunch of money off of the destruction of Mark Driscoll. And um, it's like Mark Driscoll being that brash is like him being in the process of destroying himself as long as he's trying to equate it with like Christian, like evangelical beliefs. Um, like he, but, uh, and it's really that hypocrisy comes through from Christianity today that they make a podcast called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. You're talking about Mark Driscoll though. You're talking about, the rise and fall of Mark Driscoll, you're just hiding behind the fact that you're that you're just trying to hide from that you're using Mark Driscoll to make a lot of money. This and so you need people like him around. You're trying to say that he's the most negative influence on the church and just an, the utmost misogynist and somebody that we completely disagree with, and yet at the same time make all this money off of him the same way that the church made money off of him when he came and was preaching. For Christianity like Christianity should really be thankful that people like Mark Driscoll are come along and make them all this money and say new things and innovate the church because that's what he does he innovates Christianity and influences it brings awareness to it from the outside world brings people into the church under a slightly different message and they do like it but they like to say that they don't and they're able to do that because they use terms that are confusing and don't actually apply. And it's really like Mark Driscoll, they're, they're just proving Mark Driscoll's point and they'll like play clips of what he's saying while he's speaking and stuff like that. Mark Driscoll seemingly was just kind of pissed at the Christian church for most of the time that he's preaching. He's pissed at Christians for the way that they live and, and whatever. And like, obviously he has a lot of problems. Um, and the church recognizes that at the time and after the fact. But he basically, while he's preaching and while he's popular, while like his church, Mars Hill, is getting really big in the early 2010s, he, he'll make a lot of statements while he's preaching about, well, all of the, he'll say that all of this is here because of me and my talents. Like he makes a lot of points while he's preaching that he's saying he's the phenomenon and the reason why all of this is possible. And he's 100% right. And this Christianity Today wants to make a podcast saying that he's wrong, but they're only completely proving his point because they're they're like doing that same thing where they're they're saying that it isn't Mark Driscoll that brings the money. It's like, oh, it's Mars Hill. When it's like they're not recognizing the phenomenon. But it's not like it's not that much dissimilar from churches a pastor of a church hides behind the title of a church in order for him to make money like protestant churches do that where they just name their church something that they don't 
a title that they don't have to make good on, like Grace Church, but they don't have to substantiate that title. They don't actually have to talk about grace or anything. But it's like most Protestant churches are just about the pastor, but the title of the church isn't like the Mark Driscoll experience. So it's it's similar to Mark Driscoll hiding behind the title of Mars Hill also, but Mars Hill is like the more inclusive title for the church that includes the entire group of people that's doing that. You're kind of including... Um, uh, you're you're focusing on a community, I guess, and I feel like you could maybe... It's possible you could capitalize better off of something that's a title of a community, like Mars Hill is this whole church. It, Mars Hill is this whole bubble, and in the same way that the United States is, it's like uh, the way that currency is exchanged now is fiat currencies and, like, national currencies, and so they have to be exchanged within one giant... They have to be exchanged within one giant bubble, and... Um, uh, so, like the United States, the United States does this in the way of um, they stand over money or the idea of it by putting borders around it. They call it the United States, and then issue the United States currency for everybody within the bubble of the United States to exchange in something. But it's like you would refer to it as a bubble because, um, like, everybody within it is breathing the same air. Like, okay, so, yeah, like, Christianity might hide behind the title or they don't have to make good on the title. It's the same as Christianity Today, the organization putting on that podcast, is um, they don't have to make good on their title because they're talking about something that happened 10 years ago. They're basically equating today to 10 years ago. News organizations out in the world do the same thing where it's like Good Morning Today and it's a news show. They basically equate today with yesterday because they're talking about yesterday's news that's a little bit more acceptable either way it's kind of more marketable to say that you're covering today even though you're you'd be lying in both of those cases we wouldn't really care that you're equating today to yesterday in the case of like a good morning today but uh i mean i guess christianity today we don't care about like uh christians or whoever's listening to it don't don't care about that enough to be like hey you're not talking about things that are happening today but i feel like christians don't ever care about the like, the title of the church, you wouldn't have to make good on that or say, like, that's what your church is about. You just, like, throw a title out there and then you're Christian. It's like you couldn't put Christian church on the sign because that's not a good title to hide behind. Like, uh, probably maybe it helps to call yourself Mars Hill because that sounds, uh, I mean, because it's specific, it sounds trendier. It's, it's probably better to have your church be a good name. And there are a lot of mega churches that it seems like they try to go for a trendier name than something like grace or because you could really call it whatever i feel like they christians don't make you substantiate the the title that you put out front so it's like mark driscoll kind of hides behind mars hill or the idea of a community himself or any pastor does themselves just by uh not calling their church the this is the me church but that kind of sounds more culty it's not as marketable probably but you also couldn't put christian church on a sign because like that wouldn't if it just says christian church generically that wouldn't really draw anybody in you have to have a theme but then like there's a theme and like there's a theme but they don't have to say that like that's that's what they're talking about f for sure um but it's like it's uh it's kind of like that but I'll say more about that in later. Once I watch the entire podcast, I'll say I'll I'll attempt to say more about it. But it's kind of like within a bubble. So Disney is like a a bubble, and then the church is like a bubble. But I'd say that you would call the church more of a bubble because there's fewer people in the Christian church than there are in the world. The world itself is one giant bubble, really, and then it has sub bubbles. It has subcategories within it, subgrouping, subdivisions um, that are themselves bubbles. But it's like people use that term bubble to describe everybody within a close-knit community sometimes. Like I went to I went to Cedarville University and people, like students there, would refer to it as a bubble while we were there. And I guess I, I feel like the topic came up more as we were graduating. It's like, well, now you realize that Cedarville, the university is just a bubble, and it is like a bubble. It's kind of more that 
like you would imagine there to be a giant glass dome over the entire thing rather than a bubble. Like a bubble is too fragile. But I guess you would call it a bubble because there isn't actually a dome over all of it. And it's easier to imagine that it's like not there so much because a bubble just pops instantly because there isn't actually a bubble. I guess you like because a glass dome involves this extra layer of conceptualization or something like that. But it's actually you're saying that there's a glass dome, but like the like Cedarville University, the bubble that is hypothetically over it encompasses the entire university, but it extends to as far as the theme of the university goes and like where you see people that go to it and what they look like and like where they're walking around and what the buildings look like. Like everything is on theme within the bubble everything is with has consistency in like decoration within anything that is a bubble um like uh it's like an it's like an echo chamber but it's kind of like like that's what a bubble is you're kind of referring to that there's a glass dome over the entire thing but like the united states is this for the borders of the united states is a glass dome and then those borders of the dome tell you that within this borders you get to exchange in the u.s currency like the u.s currency is exchanged in here but it's kind of like everybody breathes the same air in a bubble it's like the same as the word conspiracy and it's like the same as a conspiracy everybody has the same i mean because everybody's exchanging in the same thing and like the extent of your conspiracy extends as far as everybody's on theme to the same message but so like disney is like disney's like a bubble um because they're they're fun like that but they're they're like everybody who's works for that organization has to stay on the same message it's for the good of disney the name of the bubble that sections it off from the rest of the world is disney and they're like like that's a bubble that has to then interpret it's like has to interpret its place in the world by getting its cues from the outside world, I guess, as best it can. Because the bubble still exists within the world. Like, you wouldn't be able to call it a bubble um, if it was if the bubble wasn't partitioning the area within the bubble off from anything else. Like, there's a reason that you make a dome. It's like to make yourself in contrast with the world around you. Um, but... Uh, one minute here. I'm on edge today for some reason. I don't really know why. Um, so I deeply apologize from the bottom of my heart for being very on edge for you this morning. And um, that's that's all right. And is like, um, I saw this movie called Under the Silver Lake, and it had it had an impact on my life this under the silver lake seems to be talking about maybe this idea of bubbles but it basically goes after hollywood and the kind of consistency and thought patterns that happen across hollywood i i guess that's sort of what it's talking about but it doesn't really it doesn't address hollywood or like the typical um the typical complaints or strikes against it that people bring up it's uh it's from the director the guy who directed It Follows made this movie called Under the Silver Lake. And the same way that It Follows is a little bit like a dream sequence. Or it's like relatively more than other movies. It's kind of the whole thing seems more dreamlike. Under the Silver Lake is also like this where the characters are more like symbolic. It's not really cut and dry. It's difficult to interpret the message. It's like written like an analogy. It's an analogy about... Hollywood, but basically the main character played by Andrew Garfield encounters, um, he encounters a number of people like friends that he has because he lives in the Hollywood area and a lot of his friends kind of have this bubble mentality where it's like, or they just sound like robots where they keep repeating the same tropes over and over again. But it's like, uh, I run into a lot of people like that in real life that uh, there's a lot of people that are like that, that for some reason they've given up all hope and then they've decided to chalk up anything that like hope that you could have or optimism, enthusiasm for the future. They chalk it up to just some easy answer or something mundane, kind of like, I think that people settle on 
the answer that things have to be bad or like there's nothing transcendent out there but like the main character has this friend in the movie who who he's like um anytime that he's talking about because like andrew garfield the main character is trying to figure out this mystery during the course of the movie and he's like He's telling his friend, well, when I was growing up, I always thought that there was something more out there. There's like something special about myself or something that I had to do to make it happen. And his friend is like, yeah, well, that's just narcissism 101. Or like, that's that's a whole generation of men that believe that same thing. Like he has an answer or just like he uh, he's already living with the assumption that, well, there's obviously like he figured it out, too. His friend's like, well, that's just narcissism 101. That's, everybody does that. And so you're not special. It's like there's a lot of people that immediately immediately try to tell you that there's nothing uh, that you should be pursuing in life or something like that. But that's kind of a, like a lot of people live in something like that bubble where they're, they're giving the same responses. But just being in a bubble, like bubble behavior, echo chamber behavior is really rhetorical and kind of makes you sound like a robot and there's a lot of characters that the main character in this movie encounters that they're like i feel like that's sort of the point that the director is making that he's encountering these people that get really rhetorical or have settled on something rather than say that there's something more out there or like and the analogy was that people move out to hollywood to do something transcendent but a lot of people that move out there give up over the course of the first five years, but then they just stick around or they're not trying to do anything anymore. Or like they settle on some answer rather than continue, continue to pursue their career. Or they decide that they were stupid to figure that out. Or they're like, they chalk up their own enthusiasm to, Oh, that's a whole generation of men or like some simple answer that's societal. And like, that's a really good movie. They're talking about, they're talking about dogs a lot, and I didn't know what point that they were making. I actually used a quote from that movie in the beginning of this episode, something that they're saying about dogs, but it's it's similar to... Um, so basically, I think that another bubble that will pop is, is the idea that money is... Um, like... The idea that money is negative is another one of those bubbles that it gets rhetorical where everybody has the same ideology about it, that money is negative, but like that's always the underlying assumption and nobody like we're not we're not really pursuing that there's another side to it or people aren't really recognizing. But that's when a bubble a bubble is like that when not just when everybody says something is good, like in the case with dogs, like everybody assumes that dogs are good and everybody has that same message, but like with money, everybody says that it's negative, but it's really like, it's not money that's negative because if you think about money and like, I'll bring up this point a number of times that like people automatically say money is negative, but if you look at money itself, money is actually neutral. There's actually nothing negative about the piece of paper or the idea of it. it. There's nothing like visibly negative about it. It's just people associate all this negativity with it. I think that they, it's, it's just that in actuality, you could live in a world where money is positive and what it doesn't send a good message to people to say money is negative because that's just like telling people that they can't control their circumstances a little bit where you're like people use the idea of money themselves to tell other people to like not try to do anything sometimes if they if they continue to circulate that money is a bad thing and it's a lot of people that have a platform often that like to look good so they show people that they're on the side of money is negative or like we hate the rich and that's it's like you shouldn't be using a platform to say that because that gives that gives a bad message to the people that are listening to you or gave you a platform and that's like the church gives mark driscoll this giant platform they made him who he is but at the same time they want to say that he's shitty when they built him to everything that he was 
Um, not that that's necessarily related. It's just that people, a lot of people have a podcast like to make sure that their audience knows they're not on the side of the rich because they think that that's popular. But it's really like, that's just, and it is a popular message to always say that. But you're telling people just like, oh, don't be successful, don't get money, because if you do, it's actually it's actually bad and it makes you an evil person to try to pursue that. I don't think that that's a positive message for people or the world, and I think that it really inhibits people and their progress to think and and the world at large. If people are out there thinking that well, money is, like money doesn't get you happiness or money is just like oh, you're a money grubbing loser or like if you're trying to get it, then you're all about money or saying that somebody who has any amount of it is all about it and like trying to equate somebody's whole personality to that. People use money as a shield in all of these ways to uh, to do. I don't really know what. I mean, people wouldn't really know what they were doing. They're just kind of saying it to be on the side of the thing that everybody believes or to breathe the same air as everybody else. But it's this thing is like a bubble, I would say. This money, uh, this belief about money that people have is like a bubble that's ready to pop because it's it's like uh, something that you could see is going on when it's so rhetorical. You could see that it's a bubble that's about to pop the same way that people are like the home home ownership bubble is about to pop or whatever that they're like, oh, we can see that something's about to happen. Like you can sort of see that and by the bubble popping i mean that maybe we open up to a world where we're like oh it's actually not like it's actually not negative but basically the problem with money is is sort of like the bubble or that countries that money hasn't been decentralized enough and so it only exists as like 250 instances or something before cryptocurrency comes along there's just like there's these national currencies and a nation gets to capitalize off of, oh, this entire area exchanges in this same money and basically the same air. And it's not really that money is the problem. And you can see that that's true because think about money and realize that money itself really isn't doing anything and doesn't have any intention. And it's like, it doesn't make sense to call it negative besides that people try to put a bubble around some area about money to like the people put a bubble around the negative area of money and for some reason this is this this is where we live today rather than we live in the world where we're recognizing the full extent of the territory but like you would recognize the money as a negative because think about money actually it's actually really neutral because it's a means of exchange and it's not really money that's the problem it's the grandstanding over money like the united states grandstanding over this this idea of money and telling you that like the u.s currency is what money is that's what causes money to be a problem and causes like uh people to rise up a lot in the hierarchy that exists within the bubble of the united states or whatever it gain lots of wealth within that currency because because of the reality that is built upon the currency to some extent and then vice versa currency is built on the reality 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 is built on the currency a little bit um, it's the it's grandstanding over money, but like as money becomes more decentralized, maybe that opens up the like so that we're not so rhetorical in this area, saying that it's always negative. Um, I know I bring that point up a lot. It's just I like it's it, it's interesting, really. It's interesting that people aren't like, oh, money is positive because could you imagine living in a world where people understood that money was positive or we saw money to be positive and then that might mean that everybody was pursuing it rather than that they are supposed to feel guilty about having it or something. People try to make people feel guilty about having money and like pretty much endlessly forever. And it, it comes, a lot of that just comes from people who haven't been in the world or I, I don't know, people like there's a lot of fear about money it's, I've, as I've mentioned before. But it's like, it's kind of like not recognizing that all art is money and allowing people to pursue more creative or artistic interests. Like currency itself is kind of the, is like an emerging artistic genre, but 
it's inhibited in its emergence as long as there's still this stigma of negativity about money. And that stigma inhibits art from expanding and making the world a more uh, artistic place. Like, because people aren't willing to recognize currency to be, like, uh, related to art enough or say that that could be an emergent artistic genre because they're not going to be like, oh, money is good for the world. But, like... Currency, currency is a new artistic genre because every, all the new businesses will be centered around some specific thing, some artistic push, really, that they're trying to get a group of people behind to like their art so that uh, people can combine to make that thing happen. But it's basically like you could use any cryptocurrency to do any function or any project in the world, anything that you could imagine. And cryptocurrency and people making more and more of them is just... Uh, like capitalizing off of different imagined instances that you couldn't imagine and couldn't bring into existence as long as nations like United States or any other nation has the control over money that they do today. With cryptocurrency, it's a lot more, there are a lot more possibilities for you to imagine into existence some something. And uh, like, uh, and the money isn't so much a factor, but it's like, you being able to call your thing money is something that the United States takes away by monopolizing it to such a large area and making sure it's, it's really like the grandstanding over money in these large sectionings is it ends up being why people make money really negative. But like cryptocurrencies make the grandstanding to be a lot more reduced than than that. So it's like a lot smaller groups of people rather than a few large groups like the way that it exists today with fiat currencies. But um, um, thanks for listening to that. Hopefully put out a new episode pretty soon. You know, you know what I mean? And goodbye.